0: Welcome to Church Ahead, the weekly Christian podcast talking about big questions facing the future of church with Rev L all the way from the north of England. Episode 30, The Quest for the Historical Jesus. If you walk past Jesus in the street, would you recognise him? If he arranged to meet you at a station... What would mark him out in the crowd? What exactly would you be looking for? I've been a follower of Jesus since I was 12, consciously defining myself as his follower. I've always had a picture of this man who I'm chasing after, trying to catch up with. But the picture has changed down the years. I suppose there have been different versions of the Jesus I think I'm following To begin with, something like Billy Graham with a beard and sandals, then perhaps a vicar running a church youth group with slightly longer hair, a priest offering the sacrifice of his own body, a socialist pushing society to share, a rabbi sat down with a group of Jews arguing about the law, a humanist more taken with behaviour than with God. I've followed different versions of Jesus. But how do I know I'm following the real one? Before you can follow someone, you need to find them. Jesus has never come to me and said, Here I am. This is who I am. This is what I'm like. This is the real me. So I have to try and find him. Of course, for most of the past 2,000 years, Christians would never have bothered about this. You followed Jesus by going to church. And where did you find him? You found him in church. And church told you all you needed to know about Jesus. And that was good enough for most Christians for 90% of Christian history. But over the past 200 years, pesky, awkward, mainly German scholars have shown us there is quite a gap between the church's Christ of faith and the actual Jesus of history. And so Albert Schweitzer gave us this word quest and the phrase quest for the historical Jesus in the early 20th century. He presented Jesus as a more fatalist and apocalyptic man than the traditional church. He coined the term, but for me the starter's gun was fired by David Strauss with De Leben Jesu in 1837 in which he suggested that some of the words and events of Jesus' life in the Gospels were probably added in after Jesus by the early church. Hence the need for a little bit of stripping back to get to the original article underneath the accretions. My own quest for the historical Jesus began at the age of 14, When I started O-Level Religious Studies, looking at Mark's Gospel, I was starting to see this religion I was growing into had some really good things, and the best thing was Jesus himself. One of the first theological books I read was Jesus the Jew by Geza Vamesh, a Jewish scholar focusing on the Jewishness of the New Testament who shows how closely Jesus mirrors the teaching of other first-century Jewish rabbis. And he finishes the book by quoting another Jewish scholar, Joseph Klausner, from a hundred years ago, who said this. In his ethical code, there is a sublimity, distinctiveness and originality in form unparalleled in any other Hebrew ethical code. Neither is there any parallel to the remarkable art of his parables. Then Vabesh adds him. He is an unsurpassed master in bringing all religion back to the existential relationship of man to man and man to God. He simply has no equal. And reading those words was for me a light bulb moment, and those words have followed me ever since. Now I was on the quest for the historical Jesus, searching for Jesus, studying Jesus. ...would be the most important intellectual project of my life. OK, so now I'm on the quest. Who's going to join me on this quest? Who's going to help me? Let me introduce you to my friend Luke... ...in his Harris tweed jacket, or whatever mm, the mid-first century equivalent was. He's usually wheeled out as the New Testament historian... ...because he had an almost modern sense... Of weighing sources to write history. This is how he begins his gospel. Here is my version of Luke chapter 1 first four verses. Lots of people have left accounts of Jesus life some of which might even be based at least in part on eyewitnesses. I myself have carefully investigated everything so I'm going to give you one more account. Not my own eyewitness account, not the definitive version, just one more based on me sifting through the second-hand accounts. So you see how difficult this quest is. We haven't got Jesus' autobiography. We haven't even got contemporary first-hand eyewitness accounts of his life. The earliest Gospel Mark was a generation and a half later. So you can see it's not going to be easy, is it? I have tried to do a look. I got the tweed jacket to see if that turned me into a historian. I've tried to investigate everything that could be relevant. I've trekked Lake Galilee, looking for clues in the water and wind that Jesus stilled. I've been to India and sat at the feet of gurus in ashrams, trying to get a non-Western perspective on him. I've quizzed rabbis about his Jewishness, and Muslims about his prophet status. I've climbed mountains from the Lake District to the Himalayas, listening to the voice of creation about its Lord. Yes, I've immersed myself in the church, in worship, from Plymouth Brethren to the Tridentine Mass, in buildings ranging from dull, dilapidated sitting rooms to St. Peter's Rome. Private prayer and meditation, yes, of course. Jesus said, let a man deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So I've tried self-denial and giving my life away in what I thought was his service. I've listened to Handel's Messiah and watched the stage show, Jesus Christ Superstar. I've looked into the eyes of the poor I've recited the great Christian poets from John Donne to T.S. Eliot. I've gazed at his portraits from Michelangelo to Francis Bacon. But mostly, I've looked for Jesus in the Bible and in books about the Bible. New Testament scholarship. At the expense of sounding like a nerd for a few minutes, I can read the Gospels in the Greek of their original. I've read several commentaries on each of the four canonical Gospels, plus a few on the ones that didn't make it into the canon. I've read, on average, a book a year about Jesus for the last 44 years. Let me tell you about a couple that have captivated me in recent years. Don Cupitt's Jesus and Philosophy came towards the end of his writing life in 2009. It's a brilliant account of Jesus as a fairly secular moral teacher. His Jesus makes no status claims and wants us to live generously from the heart, not because God tells us to. He wants us to be streetwise, shrewd and sceptical. His focus is this world, not the next. For decades, Cupid has been an ecclesiastical terrorist blowing up the church's most sacred assumptions about Christianity. Cupid started his career as a curate in Salford, but soon started writing books in Cambridge. He's moved away from church and given up his orders, but believes the church might have a future if, as he puts it, it finally tries Jesus. Then there's Julian Bergini, the Godless Gospel, 2020. He's an atheist philosopher, no churchman. As an outsider, he sometimes sees the wood for the trees better than us Christians. He's not afraid to question Jesus. Would we get Jesus' pacifism if he'd lived under the Third Reich? His emphasis, again, is on this worldly humanism, not that different from Cupid like the Jewish scholars Vamesh and Klausner, He questions how original Jesus was. I think there's some mileage in this worldly accounts of Jesus, for want of a better word, as a humanist teacher. But, 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 I can't buy the whole package. What about Jesus' reputation as an exorcist? It seems he was quite good at casting demons out. Cupid thinks the church had its feet on the ground for a generation until they started going on about resurrection. But I think the resurrection claims were there right from the very beginning. The people who met Jesus did not think of him as only a moral teacher. So like almost every other book I've read about Jesus, I can say, yes, very good, but what about this? I read Maurice Case's 544-page book, Jesus of Nazareth. And a great deal of it was unconvincing to me until I got to the final paragraph where he says this The major fault of the quest for the historical Jesus is that scholars have sought and found a Jesus who reflects their own concerns, not those of a first century Jew. So is the academic quest just a fool's errand? Well, the scholars have their uses. And they have their limitations. They're probably about the best tool we've got to work with. But it's not a very sharp or accurate tool. It's a tool that's not easy to use or to make sense of. Gnosticism was the idea that if you know the right things, it will save you and take you to heaven. And it was ruled offside rightly by the early church. I'm not suggesting salvation by scholarship. If Christ can really only be understood and followed by a tiny minority of brain boxes lucky enough to have a very good education, then that's not much use as a mass-market global religion, is it? If Christianity is any good, then it's got to cut through to people who can barely read and who would be lucky even to handle a Bible. But I don't want to go back to the days when Christians only knew what church told them to believe about Jesus. Very roughly, that 90% of church history before modern biblical scholarship corresponds to the era before mass education in Europe. And the 10%, whilst the quest has been raging, maps on to the era of mass schooling. I don't want to go back to an illiterate church where I have to take everything on trust. The Germans have written their books and opened our eyes to all the questions about Jesus. The genie is out of the bottle. For me, reading these books and working through their puzzles is one of the great privileges of being a Christian today. Okay, a rich, privileged Christian in Europe. I don't think I've wasted my life on this quest And I would suggest that whatever brains and education God has given you, give as much as you can to your own quest. Probably you're going to be excited by glimmers of Jesus. But I caution against expecting to get very far, very fast. Expect to work at it and expect it to take a long time. There aren't many things more valuable for the Christian to do than listening to church ahead. Okay, but this is one. I've talked a lot about books today, well aware that many people in this world still can't read. But I've had the privilege of a life in books, and I want to finish by taking you to the library where I first picked theological books off the shelves. The central reference library in Manchester is shaped like a squat cylinder with a dome on the roof. The main reading room is a huge circular room right under the dome. The acoustics are terrible, amplifying every scrape and cough. But there's something about that dome ceiling that always captures me whenever I go in there. It sets the tone for whatever I'm doing in that reading room. Stretched right around the dome in gold lettering are these biblical words. Are you ready for them? Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it cost you all you have, get understanding. That's Proverbs 4, verse 7. Under that dome, of course, are a lot of books. And in one sense, it's preposterous to equate the content of the books beneath that dome with wisdom. There's probably a fair bit of stupidity in those books. But yes, the quest for the historical Jesus has taken me through a lot of books. And for me to see Jesus more clearly is to be wiser. I started the quest 44 years ago and I've nowhere near finished. I will go on and on trying to follow Jesus which means trying to find him and trying to understand him. But I have got some provisional conclusion to offer you. And next time, I'm going to come straight and tell you what I think I've found. Next time, what I think I know about Jesus. Thank you for listening to episode 30, which is the second of our four-part series on Jesus. Next week I'll give you my conclusion as to what I think I know about Jesus, and then we'll finish up in the final week with where is the church going with Jesus in the future.